for all of that, Lord. And we look forward to what you have to say this morning. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So first off, before I begin, I got to say that I did apologize to my son for almost hitting his head. Um, it's just hard to practice in there when there's no water. You know, it's a different feel, but, um, but we're, we're okay. Um, anyways, we talk about Easter. You know, what a special day it is. But the first Easter was an ordinary day. It was just an ordinary day. It was just the first day of the work week. People were getting uh, ready to go to work. In fact, it was, you know, Sabbath obviously had ended, and the Passover week had ended. So Passover was a very important week in Jerusalem where people would come from all over Israel or even beyond to fill Jerusalem for a week of celebrating, celebrating what God had done and how he brought them out of Egypt, right, into the promised land. And so there was a week of celebrating, but now Sabbath was over and people were going back home. It was kind of that end of vacation and people are vacating Jerusalem. And that was the first Easter. It was early in the morning and some ladies had come to the gravesite to finish what wasn't done uh, on, on the day that Jesus was buried. Remember, he was on the cross, the Sabbath was coming, and so Joseph and, and Nicodemus took Jesus and they prepared him for burial. But they were rushed, right? And there was a lot to do. It took some time and they didn't get it all done. And so that Sunday morning, Mary and some of the ladies came by to, with spices just to finish what hadn't been done. But what they experienced, they were unprepared for. They were not expecting. When they walked up to the tomb, the stone had been rolled away. It, it shouldn't have been rolled away yet. What, what's going on? You know, they're kind of trying to put this together. But they look, look inside and something's not right. Jesus' body is not there. There's some linen straps, but his body is not there. And they're saying, what, what happened? Where is he? Why, who took him away? And why did they take him? But it wasn't until the angel showed up and said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. What wonderful news to change their mourning and lament into celebrating. But, but what did it mean? What did his resurrection mean? What was the significance? They would take some time, for they were confused and they would, were afraid of what this meant. It would take some time for them to unpack that. And we see that as the New Testament opens and as we see these stories of the apostles, that it would take a little time for them to understand and comprehend what this meant. But maybe you're here as well saying, what, what does Easter mean? Like, to me, it's just an ordinary day. Why is it significant? Why is it something that we need to celebrate? See, celebrating is part of our culture, right? We love celebrating. We celebrate all kinds of things. For us as Christians in the church, we have two main days we celebrate, right? We celebrate Jesus' birth at Christmas, and we, we celebrate his death at Easter. And we celebrate other things too, like this, like new life, changed lives, uh, birth and children raising, being uh, raised up in the faith. There's all kinds of things we celebrate. 
But there's also a place where we mourn and where we grieve and where we lament. We grieve the sin in the world and, and what sin has done in this world into our culture, into our, our, our cities, into this world, into the lives. We grieve the, the pain that sin has caused on the human body with sickness and death. And here in these three days, we see this day of, of grief on Good Friday, this day of sadness and lament, but then this day on Easter where that grieving has turned to celebration, to celebrating the risen Lord and what he has done for us. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was writing in Galatians. We've been in a study in the book of Galatians since we've been walking, walking through this. And when we get to this uh, chapter, end of chapter 3 and in chapter 4, Paul is telling us a little bit more about the significance of his birth, of his resurrection and what he did. And he says this in Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. He says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Dude, just at the right time, at the perfect time, God sent his son. Sent his son. It was an ordinary day to just ordinary people. But it's a day we celebrate called Christmas. But he came with a mission and with a purpose. And we see that right here. To redeem those under the law. That he came under the law. Right? He came under the Jewish law. He came under the Roman authority. But to fulfill the law, to do what we couldn't do. And we talked about this earlier in the study in Galatians, that we were captive to this law. This law that we could not fulfill. But Christ came and he fulfilled the law. The, the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. So the law says do not murder. Jesus didn't, he never killed anybody, he never murdered anybody. But he also fulfilled the intent. Remember when, when in Matthew chapter 5, when, when Jesus says that you've heard it said, do not murder. But I say, if you even think of somebody as a fool, even in your heart, even you just kind of mumble it under your breath that you've committed murder. But Jesus didn't do that. He never even mumbled those words under his breath. He never thought them. But quite the opposite. Instead, he treated people with kindness and empathy and mercy and love. And it wasn't that he just didn't commit adultery. He, he never even had the, the thought in his mind. I never had a lustful thought in his mind. Because he treated all people and women with that dignity, with respect. He didn't just honor the Sabbath and just attend Sabbath, you know, each week. Instead, he taught the love of God. He showed the love of God. He let people, he released people from their sin. He healed them. He freed them. He introduced them to the love of the Father. Jesus fulfilled the law to redeem those under the law that we would have new life. And so today, in just the next few minutes, I just want to share just some of the things that we experience, the newness that Christ brought because he redeemed those under the law. He redeemed us through uh, his work on the cross and through the grave. Jesus' resurrection means a few things. One, 
means he gives us a new identity. A new identity. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, just a couple of verses before that, he says, For you, for all of you who are baptized into Christ Jesus, have clothed yourself with Christ. For those who have been baptized with Christ, you have clothed yourself with Christ. Uh, meaning that those three who were just baptized, but more, all of you, all of those who were baptized. In fact, the, there's in, the, in this time, for those of you who put faith in Christ, it meant that you were immediately baptized. You were baptized right away. If you believed in Christ, you were baptized. And so this is talking to those who had put their faith in Jesus. He says, if you have put your faith in Jesus, if you've called on him as your Savior, but now you are clothed with Christ. And such a, a wonderful, vivid imagery. We spend so much time trying to make an identity. Right? We, we, the clothes that we wear are part of our identity. And Paul is saying, for those of you who are in Christ, take off your surf apparel. Right? Take off your I know, cowboy hat and boots. Take off your, your wardrobe. Whatever that might be, and identify with Christ. Wear him, put on him. So take off the clothes from Nordstrom's or TJ Maxx or Target or Costco that we used to identify, but identify with Christ. When I look at people, I see, yes, I see you're a, a Laker fan, I get it, but more so, you are clothed with Christ. What does that mean? I mean, it means a few things. I mean, one, it means that when God, most importantly, when God looks at you, he sees Christ. Because you have put him on. And that brings joy. It means that when we relate to each other in this world, that Christ is our style. Right? Christ is our style. His style being the love and kindness and mercy and compassion and respect. That we wear him out in this world. We wear his values out on the street, out to work. It doesn't mean we lose our personality, right? God has given you the personality, and you take that personality, but you put Christ with it. So when you put on your scrubs in the morning and you go to work, you put on Christ. You are identified with Christ. When you put on your, your work clothes or your school clothes, when you put on your uniform, when you put on your concert t-shirts, you have identified with Christ first and foremost. So with him, we have a new identity. An identity of Jesus Christ. We have a new status. Right? A new status as well. We, a, a status is that it's the, the ranking that we have in society or in professions, right? We have these different rankings, and it sounds funny, but we really do, right? We rank people all the time, you know, who's prettier, who's stronger, who's more competent, right? Who's, who's more this, more that. We do these things all the time. The world does these things. But Paul is writing and he says, that is not how it is in the kingdom of God. That's not how it is in the church. He says this in verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. 
and Jesus Christ was resurrected and he gave us a new identity, we are also given this new uh, status in society. And it's not ranked, and the kingdom of God does not have rankings, does not have middle class or upper class or lower class or anything like that. It says we are all one, right? No matter your ethnic status, wherever you come from, wherever your heritage is from, there's no ranking there. Now, this was important in the book of Galatians because that's what it was all about. There was this ranking, the Jews and the Gentiles. And would the Gentiles have to become Jewish? Or would the Jews have to become Gentile? And all of those things. But Paul saying that's not what it's about. If you're arguing over that, you have missed the point. In the kingdom of God, there is no ranking. We are all one. And social status, slave or free. Also in the church, there were people who were slaves. There were people who were free. And you could see how this would be a problem. How it would be hard to navigate. In fact, in, in the church in Corinth, they had issues with this. Right? When they had their communion feast, the rich would eat. They would, they would be well fed. They'd eat all the food and they'd leave nothing for the poor. The poor would have nothing to eat or would sit outside. Paul says that's not the way it's happening in the church. There is no ranking, slave or free. We are all one in Christ. With gender as well, male or female. Now this, uh, I don't know what, how, that, um, how you interpret that, but in that day, that was revolutionary. That was mind-blowing. Because in that culture, not only Jewish culture, the Gentile culture too, the, the, the women were certainly inferior they did not have the same status. They were not on the same level as men. But Paul's saying here in the church, in the kingdom of God, Christ has made us one. So the Jewish free male had equal standing before Christ as the Gentile female slave. That's what Christ did. Changes everything. Totally different than the culture. But we would be one together. We would serve together. We'd be discipled together. We'd learn together. We'd worship together. We'd praise God together because we're all one in Christ. It's a joy of being in this community. We carry each other's burdens, not looking at who they are, but because they're brothers and sisters in Christ. Which leads to the next thing. All right, we're given a new identity. We're given a new status. We're given a new family. There's a lot of terms for family, nuclear family, dysfunctional family, uh, adopted family, foster families, all these things. But we here are part of the family of God. We're the children of God. Look at what he says in verses 4 and 5 of Rome, uh, Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. He says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Why? that we might receive adoption to sonship. Christmas, Good Friday, Easter, all coming together to give us this new relationship, this new family that we have in God. We've been adopted into his family, and we've been called his sons. Now, why sons? Why not sons and daughters, right? We're uh, particularly sensitive to that, and some translations may change these things. But Paul wrote specifically for a reason that we are all sons. And that has to do with inheritance. 
in our culture, if we were to do an inheritance for someone, you have a, a son and a daughter, you're probably going to give them the same, 50-50, right? But that's not the way it was back then. Again, going back to the female, they were inferior. When a father would put in his, his will or there would be the inheritance, it would not go to the, the daughter, to the female. It would go to the male, and it would be up to him to see how he would provide, and that could go well, it could go poorly. But here's what, what Paul is saying. He's saying that when you come to Christ, that you are treated as his son in terms of the inheritance. So that if you are that Gentile uh, female slave, you are given the same treatment. You are given the same inheritance as God's son, that is Jesus Christ. Powerful. That God treats us, all of us, is a son giving us that inheritance. Now, if that doesn't satisfy you still, I, we've got to keep in mind where Paul in other places, here he's talking about inheritance, but there's other places where he says, you, you, the church, you are the bride of Christ. Okay? He doesn't say you're the bride and the groom of Christ. That would be weird. But he says you, the male, female, the church, we're one. We are the virgin bride of Christ who God has loved and that Jesus is coming to receive. And so there's the balance of both places. But it's specific to this passage. He wants you to know that you've been given a new family, you've been brought into the new family, and you've been given a wonderful inheritance. The same inheritance that is reserved for Jesus Christ has been given to you. Right? It's wonderful news. Changes everything. You're a royal family. We're children of the king, sons and daughters of the king. It's good. It's good news. But there's one more. He says there's a new future. As you're part of this family, there's this new future for you. Look in verses 6 and 7. It says, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Because he sees you as a son, he sent the spirit of his son, the Holy Spirit, into your hearts. And what does the Spirit do? The Spirit speaks to the Father. He cries out, saying, Abba, Father. Abba, Father, if you've been in church for some time, you've heard this term. People have talked about it. It's a very familiar firm, uh, term in a family. It could be similar to dad or pops or whatever you would say when you're cuddling up with your dad. And this is the Spirit that has been put in your heart saying you have this relationship with the Father, and it's a near, it's a very close, it's an intimate relationship. Again, so different from the world around. Certainly so different from the, the Jewish culture that wouldn't even say the name of God. But here he's saying the Spirit is in your heart, and it's drawing you into this loving, kind, intimate relationship with God the Father. So you have a new future. The Spirit is in you. He's this guarantee of your future. You have this in future inheritance. 
is God's love child. When you look at this passage, it reminds us of the power of the resurrection, of what Jesus did, that he came forth from the grave. He was alive. He was he's brought, the spirit brought back to life to show us the way to the Father, to show us that when we die here on earth, that there's an inheritance waiting for us. There's a whole future that we can't even comprehend, but is waiting for those who are in the family of God, those who are in his kingdom. Remember the first Easter, like I said at the beginning, was not super special. It was an ordinary day. But Christ made it special. And he was resurrected from the tomb. And he made everything new. You may have come this morning thinking, this is an ordinary day. Yeah, I mean, it's Easter. You know, we have brunch and we dress up a little bit nicer and we go to church. It's what we do. But it's an ordinary day. But just in the same way as at the right time God brought Jesus Christ in this world, I'm wondering if this is the time where God is calling you, saying, I want to bring you into this relationship, bring you into the family of God. You are loved. You are called. You have a new future, a new family that is waiting for you. God is not distant. God is not angry. God is not, uh, I don't know what image you have in God, but he is near. He's calling us, calling us into this new relationship, calling us to have this new identity. We identify with Christ. We have this new status. We don't have to uh, kind of um, broker our lives and try to get ahead of others because that's not what it's about. We are already one. We are already the children of God. We have the new family, a new calling, a new future. I'm not forcing anyone into this relationship, and I can't. It's not my place. It's the role of the Spirit of God. But I would ask, is the Spirit of God calling you? Is he calling your heart to something new? Something new that came with Easter? Or perhaps you have already received Jesus Christ. Maybe you've already been baptized. But it's your time to remember who you are a child of the king with an inheritance waiting for you, with this new identity, this new calling for you to live, that you represent him. I'm telling you, the world needs it. I mean, if you look at the news and you look what's, what's in front of our faces, we don't see a lot of this. We don't see a lot of the values that Jesus lived. We don't see a lot of respect. We don't see a lot of kindness. We don't see a lot of togetherness and oneness but we as a church we who are identified with Christ this is our life this is our calling our identity it's for us to live to go out to represent the kingdom of God that is here that is coming it will come in its fullness but for now it's us we get to share that love with the people around us what God did 
on Easter is something very special, something we celebrate. May we take that to heart. May we hold on to the truth. May we cling to the gospel. May we thank God for what he has done by giving us this eternal life, giving us new life, the family, the future. And may we live it now. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you have done. At the perfect time, you sent your son. He was born fully human. Who was born into this world fully divine. He did what we couldn't do. He lived a perfect life. He fulfilled the law. He honored you. He pleased you. Even his sacrificial death was pleasing to you. That you brought him out of the grave. Lord, that we would follow in his footsteps. I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would follow you. I pray for the, the person, too, who came today just thinking it's an ordinary day. Maybe they believed in you, maybe they didn't. Maybe they believed in the resurrection, or they didn't. But I pray that today they put their faith in you, call you as their Lord and Savior, and submit to you as the king of their life. Pray that you would enter their life, forgive them of their sin, and make them new again. Give them a new identity as they wear Jesus Christ. Give them a new status as they are one with those around them. They are no longer needing to prove themselves or their worth, their abilities. That you would give them a new family, new brothers and sisters, and certainly a new father. And give them a new mission in life. To walk with the Holy Spirit. To lean on you and to trust you to do good in this world as we see the kingdom of God come according to your will. Father, may you encourage all of us to live out our calling as your children. And as excited as we are for heaven, we don't want to wait till then. We want to start now. May we be obedient to who you are. For anyone who is feeling your call, feeling you tug in their hearts, feeling your spirit at work, I pray that they would surrender. And today on Easter, they would experience this new life that comes because of Jesus Christ. His life, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his body resurrected. This we pray in your holy name.